Before we begin, a reminder that nothing on this podcast is intended as a statement of faith, doctrine, or fellowship, and this podcast is not affiliated with any church, school, or calling body. What's up, gents? My name is Charlie Ungemach, and you are listening to an episode of the Gird Up Broadcast. Now, the dudes are going to join me in just a minute, and we got a lot of great content coming your way. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to all those who help support the Gird Up Project here. All of our content at Gird Up is available free to anyone anywhere in the world who might benefit from our message, and we want to keep it that way. But we also have to rely then upon the contributions of our listeners to do so. You'll never see any paywalls or exclusive content here at Gird Up. That being said, it does cost us money to put a show like this together. So if you find what we're doing here valuable and you enjoy the broadcast and you're willing and able to do so, please go to www.girdupministries.com, click on the menu, and select Buy Us a Cup of Coffee. That $5 donation goes a long way towards keeping this podcast going and it helps us reach and minister to many more men just like you. Hope you enjoy the broadcast today. Let's get to it. influence today. <laughs> All right, my name is Charlie Ungamak and you are listening to the Gird Up podcast. This particular episode is a broadcast, which means we sit around with the bros and talk about Jesus. I am the host and curator of Gird Up. With me I've got Connor Herter and Bray Scusi. Awesome. And today in the throne over there in the corner, that sounded like a toilet. It's not a <laughs> toilet. Sitting over there in the guest chair. He gets his own fancy chair here. Um, actually, I even swapped that with a chair in a different dorm room before everybody moved in oh. so that it would be a nice fancy chair for our podcast How guests. honored am I? Yeah, you ought to be honored. Man, this is a big... I don't... Ah, why am I the way that I am? Anyway, <laughs> go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> Isaiah Duff. All right, Isaiah Duff, tell us a little about yourself. Well, I am a senior at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, eagerly awaiting call day. Uh, I come from the Twin Cities back in Minnesota. I am a nerd for all things church history. <laughs> Bit of, I don't know, D&D, video games. If if there's lore, I'm probably interested. <laughs> awesome. Does that mean you're a Tolkien guy? Uh, not so much. I got into Tolkien in high school uh, thanks to some friends. So you... You know uh, Emily Reineman. I do. Yeah, she do. she got me and my sister into Tolkien. Uh, so I've I, I saw the movies then, and then I read the books. Um, <clears throat> would have been my first year at seminary. Well, the summer after my first year at seminary, uh, I tried to get into the Silmarillion, and uh, I thought the opening was really cool with the the creation myth, and uh, and then it lost me with the just list of names for the pantheon and they're being dropped back and forth it, it makes me think we uh there was recently that on campus book club for war and peace this was my fourth time trying to get into that book <laughs> i took notes i took detailed notes i was just trying to keep track of names and in the opening scene there's this stupid dinner party where suddenly you you're introduced to like 50 nobles and there's the, the there's this one guy and he's actually kind of an interesting character and he's there with his wife and for some reason like 
he and his wife don't get along. One is an introvert, one is an extrovert. But it it just it just drops her name in the most subtle way, and then all of a sudden we're talking about the 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 oh I don't remember how it describes it, but it's like the the little princess sitting next to this noble, and the whole time I'm thinking, well that's his wife, and then it describes how she is the most beautiful marriageable age woman who's single in the room and i'm going wait i've thought for like the past six pages i knew who this was and uh that's that's about when i dropped out that's the way i feel about gone with the wind Mm. i i love jane austen i love like victorian literature which is a very similar i mean i know they're not the same thing but it's a very similar style right and uh like so i um, Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite books that I've ever read. Like I, I enjoy that kind of stuff, but Gone with the Wind, she will spend 25 pages describing the curtains that hang in the corner of the room of the window, like are uh, it's hanging on the co- the windows of the corner, whatever, in the corner of the room as she's looking out and waiting for the guy that she doesn't even know if she likes or not to come up the room. It's just like I I, I don't. Let me use my imagination. You right. haven't left any room for my imagination whatsoever. So. It, it's kind of like how when, when you read Lord of the Rings... Now, I I appreciate Tolkien. He's a gifted historian and linguist and author. But you can tell this is a guy who would go out for walks and stare at a single tree for 20 minutes. <laughs> I don't remember where I read that, but I, I did. And I just thought, that is the most fitting thing I have ever read about this man. My my favorite on that on that ilk is uh, G.K. Chesterton. Yeah, mm. yeah. G.K. Chesterton would habitually um, get lost in London and have to call his wife and have her. Well, not call. It would be telegraph his wife and be like, "I don't know where I am or how to, or where I'm supposed to be." And she would telegraph him back. This is where you are because she would get an address on the telegraph. She would telegraph him back. This is where you are and this is where you're supposed to be. <laughs> so often it would be like, "You're at this station." You need to be home for dinner. <laughs> Things like that. He also wrote a 20-page essay on the qualities of pocket lint. He's like the greatest minds, the greatest minds of the uh, what is it, 19th, 19th century, and yet they couldn't even just hyperfix it. Couldn't even ride the train we all have without our own getting lost. Curiosities. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Awesome. I love it. Well, welcome to the show, Isaiah. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to have you here. Isaiah is also an absolute brainiac, and I just want to get into this a little bit. You have a very uh, your preferred style of worship is very traditional and such. You want to talk about that a little bit too? Uh, just certainly. a little. Uh, which part of that? The, the brainiac or the liturgical? <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the liturgical thing Sure, a bit. sure. Uh, so I, I recently attended the Return to Wittenberg conference uh, and partook in the worship. I was a uh, thurifer for that, which for those who don't know, liturgy lingo means I was swinging the incense swingy thing. Um, but my my preference for liturgical worship comes down to the fact that Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is present in the means of grace, in word and sacrament, and liturgical worship reflects that belief that Jesus is actually here. I I don't think um, sometimes liturgical worship can be kind of stuffy or stiff. I don't think it needs to be. There's a real liveliness and joy to the objectivity of the means of grace, the the closeness of Christ especially, I, I mean for my own piety, in the, the sacrament of the altar where we receive the body and blood of Jesus. That's just the dearest thing to me in the universe. 
so for me it's just sort of a well if, if i if i believe that i i want to act like it there's a lot of big words i love words you there. man <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of big words there all right <laughs> well I, 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 I love it this is the sort of thing where uh i'll tell somebody this is what i'm into and everyone's giving me that kind of glazed look like what's happening right now. And, and then I drop the line, as you can imagine, I'm a lot of fun at parties. <laughs> I can just see you posted up at the right party. Just posted oh, up yeah. in the corner, just lecturing. Yeah. like not, not lecturing in a bad way, lecturing in a good way. Just having a... Like, uh, like a uh, not a dissertation. What's, what, when you're giving and taking, what do you call that? Uh, Dialogue, Dialogue, intercourse, um, yeah, well, yeah. discourse. Conversation. Dis- discourse is where uh, I was going. Was it, well, yeah, just yeah. having a discourse on something important that nobody else understands. I love it. I love it, man. Anyway, okay, welcome. We got shout-outs uh, to start ourselves off. So, Bryce, you got a shout-out to start the day? Yeah, I'm going to shout-out Cooper Knoll. <laughs> Why? That's about it. Why? He's just he's a good guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's more to Thanks, that. Thanks, Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Great content. Go ahead, Connor. <laughs> My shout out for this week goes to Gus Biga. Um, today was his first day giving a sermon, or I guess a little devotional, in chapel this morning. Uh, and Gus tends to be very nervous when it comes to any type of public forum that has him at the center of it. And even in class before it, he was very nervous and, and that kind of stuff. And I thought he did a very good job. His tempo was fantastic. His message was great. Uh, so I think he's a great example of someone who wants to serve the Lord, knows his faults, and is willing to is willing to deal with them and willing to and willing to uh, push forward despite his own shortcomings, whatever they might be. He's a beacon of humility. It's awesome. Yeah. The other thing is, I, I was thinking that as he was preaching, was like he, he's always been. Um, very good at writing his sermons. He's always mm-hmm. had something worthwhile to say. Um, but especially especially our junior year, but then also the senior year at MLC, he really struggled with the nerves, right, when oh, he actually yeah. did the delivering. And it was so much... Most people, they like take two steps back um, when they get here to the seminary because the yeah. stakes are a little higher, right? Oh, yeah. Than evening chapel at MLC with 14 people in the room, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, well... I, it wasn't like that for everybody, but my very first chapel was on the last Friday evening of the school year. <laughs> mm, yeah, like what? There, there, what? There just wasn't anybody there. Like everybody had other things, uh, so there wasn't anybody on campus even. Anyway, um, he miraculously and to his credit just took a giant leap forward in yeah. his in his preaching, like uh, the actual like, physical part of preaching. So his his physical presence up in the front of the room, yep. his comfortability, um, both to speak and to listen to, everything about it was awesome. And I can imagine, like, having not done it myself, it's intimidating. I mean, you're you're bottom of the food chain here, and not in a negative way or anything like that, but as juniors, we are, we're bottom of the food chain here. And you have people like Hair Duff over here, who, Danke. who is a, uh, who is a brainiac, and people who who just want to spend their entire day in the Word and are very, very good at spending their entire day in the Word. And the professors. And the professors on top have, of that. And have, so, you ever, have you ever heard the story about, uh, I don't remember which professor it was, but the professor who would keep his head down? No. So there, there was a professor, I don't remember who it was, but every chapel he would have his head, he would have his head down and he would just be listening. And if his head popped up, you know you screwed up. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, he, yeah. he'd, be, he'd be doing two things. Uh, one... He'd be listening for heresy. 
The other thing is that he would intentionally zone out for the reading of the text, and then based on your devotion, oh. he would try to gauge, can I tell what text it is? Oh, that's And so if scary. he couldn't, he would give you a hard time. Oh, that's so scary. Yeah, and so like... And, and and you're just standing up there for your first time and you gotta take your licks and you gotta do it and he right. and he like you said you... took that giant step forward during during uh, orientation there were several different professors who referred to the seminary as the gentler kinder kinder seminary and uh, the more stories you hear the more I believe that yeah, for sure for sure <laughs> I believe it I believe it wholeheartedly but it also I mean the synod that we're a part of has been renowned for excellent preachers for a very long time, and mm-hmm. it's for good reason. Awesome. I'm going to shout out Professor Geiger, because uh, Professor Geiger, this last week, I mean, we've shouted him out probably every week of the... Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's awesome. tradition Since now. Since, like, day yeah, one. He's, he's doing great. But um, we've been going through the events of Holy Week, and first of all, I did not imagine... In, so we're going through the events of Holy Week in Greek. So we're reading them in Greek, translating them, and talking about them in depth in class. And uh, I did not imagine ahead of time how emotionally taxing it was going to be, first of all. Um, or, I mean, this is a, these are texts that we've heard so many times. Yep. And we've gone over them so many times. And we've read them so many times. And yet, like, my like, paradigms are shifting yep. based on the conversations that we're having. Um, yeah. And it has everything to do with his approach um, like the reason he's getting shouted out so much is his approach. His approach is one which is uh, both academically and um, just like personally excellent, right? So he he approach like he his approach suits everyone in the classroom, whether you're at the top of the ch- food the language food chain or the bottom of the language food chain, um, and he is so thorough about his preparation. Yep. That he's able able to effectively communicate exactly what needs to be said in a timely manner, and we cover volumes yeah. in minutes. It's amazing, and the fact that he just gives that all to us, like yeah. online, like things yeah. that you would pay good money for in a mm-hmm. book or something like that. He's just like, I just want you guys to have this because it's going to be useful to you someday. Yeah. And uh, we all kind of groaned this afternoon when we got an email about having a test in that <laughs> class next week, right? <laughs> yeah. But even even there, like the for the volume of content that we cover and the depth at which we cover it, I mean, the quiz is just like an add-on to make sure you're paying attention. Oh right? yeah, like for the, sure. They're not joking when they say things like, "Our purpose here is to prepare you f- to be a pastor, and the best way to prepare you to be a pastor is just help you grow in faith." Um, and the tests that we take are a great reflection of that attitude and behavior. <laughs> I have used my isagogic notes from Geiger. For every single gospel sermon I've preached, yeah, there's there's always been some nugget in there that uh, just is just useful. So like tonight, uh, preaching on the gospel for this Sunday Reformation, Matthew ten, and my the the point I remembered or that I, I grabbed from my notes was how we look for ease in the Christian life. We want the easy way, but in in this text and others, Jesus says no persecution, hate, division, threats, that that's the status quo. And uh, the, the good news, of course, is that our Savior sees us through it, but uh, uh, I can't quite deliver it all here, but, you know, Geiger has his own particular way of just giving sure. it to you, and it, it simultaneously feels like a warm hug, and, <laughs> and you're also just overwhelmed by how... 
strongly, beautifully equipped this man is by the spirit. Yep. You you just look at him and you, you can feel the spirit of God radiating off of him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Your shout out? <laughs> uh, yes. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to have one of those. Uh, my shout out goes to my good friend Malachi Mortensen. Okay. Eminem. Uh, he is on his vicar year in Nebraska. Uh, mein Sohn, if you are listening, I, I wish you well. Hello, it's been too long since we've talked. Uh, I plan on writing you a letter soon. Awesome. Yeah, Malachi is one of the reasons why I made it here to begin with. So he was an excellent, excellent Greek tutor at uh, MLC. So shout out to Malachi for sure. He deserves some more shout outs. He also tutored me in Greek. So yeah, That's awesome. I, I, was the, I was the tutor you had to sign up for. And I, I kept running out of students because uh, they would either get good enough to pass their test and they didn't want me anymore or they just gave up on Greek. I had like six <laughs> students. Well, and I remember the, I only had like one or two sessions, and then that would be it. Yeah, well, by the time they're basically telling you that you should request a, a tutor, sometimes sometimes it's a little, a little, it's a little too late. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. Um, we are. We don't have anybody who donated this week, so if you'd like to help fund the Gird Up podcast... We're going to let you know how to do that. And next week, hopefully, we'll have somebody to shout out for donations to the podcast. So, um, we call it a cup of coffee donation because... Oh, Connor's going to read it because he's oh, better okay. at reading than me. Uh, and you got a nicer voice. Okay. Well, in reality, compared to Duff. But no, don't anyway. mess up. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this is new for me. Uh, we call it a cup of coffee donation because for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the ministry we're doing with young men. If you'd like to support or help fund the work we are doing here at GirdUp, oh, I knew it. So close. Go to www.girdup.com, select buy a cup of coffee in the main menu, and make your donation there. I also love that uh, you don't seem to have any sort of Michigan accent until you get to www. <laughs> no, 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 no. You just go, oh, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> www. I love it. Awesome. Yeah, so we'll make sure we drop a link in the show notes below. Please help support the Geared Up Podcast. We love you. We appreciate your support. And um, we need it because we're all still in school. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, help us support you by supporting us. Do it. Manly quote of the week this week. Fair seas and following winds never made a skilled sailor. So um, I have it credited here as FDR. Technically not FDR. FDR said calm seas never made a skilled sailor. And then somewhere along the line, the way, I found this in one of my notebooks, which uh, was quoted, but I could not find where it came from. But fair seas and following winds, nope, it would be uh, following seas and fair winds never made a skilled sailor. Um, same idea. Director's obviously, cut. Yeah, the director's cut. Yeah, obviously just uh, more nautical terms. The question here is... Does it apply to men, and is it a manly quote? I'll I'll just come out right away and say I didn't like it. Yeah. I I don't know because you think about it. If you put me on a boat, okay, I don't know anything about sailing. I can run a boat when it has an engine, but if you put me on like a sailboat, I know nothing about that. Okay, if you put a guy who's been sailing for years, no matter the weather. I would say, oh, he is very skilled at what he does because he knows all this stuff, how to operate. And if you're really a skilled sailor, 
you wouldn't go sailing in the ocean when there's a storm. How do you become a good sailor, Bryce? You learn how to sail a boat. And then once you learn, what do you do after that? You go and sail the boat. What do we call that, Bryce? Sailing the boat. What do we call it when we when we do something over and over that we've already learned how to do? What do we call that? Skill. How do you gain skills? By doing it over and over. What do we call? Oh my gosh! What do we practice? Call that? The word he's looking like for is practice. practice. You, you know one of those video games where you have to yeah. pick dialogue options? Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. stuck in a loop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Practice, Bryce, and yes, but you. Okay, but this quote is saying that it's the weather like bad weather that makes you a skilled sailor no you get you get skilled by practice like you're saying this is saying you're only skilled if you go through bad weather essentially so you 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 wouldn't like uh nietzsche's what doesn't kill you makes you stronger That's something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> but it's related, isn't it? It's related, the, but it's the, different. The, the the essence of the quote is that you improve by overcoming difficulty. So it's it's not so much... Yes, the, the storm physically existing doesn't make you better, but having to overcome it does. And if you, you are a sailor and you, you only ever have calm seas, how do you get better? You need a bigger challenge. But you're still skilled if you're just a sailor in calm seas, right? uh, Right, but it's proverbial. It's not science. (laughs) But I would say, okay, so the way I took this is the same way that we took uh, the quote from last week where we were talking about the ship that, something about a ship that never experiences any hardship or something. I don't know. A ship is safe in harbor, but ships aren't made for that. So I took it in the same kind of context in that in order for a man to become secure in his masculinity he has to experience hardship and when you do experience hardship that causes you to approach other hardships in life with more knowledge with more understanding and with more skills already at hand and so it's incur- it's an encouragement i would say it's a manly quote it's an encouragement for men to go out there to do the hard things kind of like what david goggins always said mm. and i took it a step further and said as christians this is a good quote for us as well because it tells us that we shouldn't shy away from bearing our crosses, that by bearing our crosses, it's not an act of justification or anything like that, but it allows us to approach other hard instances in our lives with the understanding that this is just my cross to bear, and I know how to handle this because I've de- dealt with it before. Yeah, I'm, uh, who would you rather have sailing your ship? Somebody who has weathered storms, whether you're sailing on a stormy day or not. Who would you rather have handling your ship? Somebody that's sailed in many storms or someone who's never sailed in a storm? It's like that movie we watched a couple weeks ago with Tom Hanks and the... where uh, uh, oh, Captain... Cast. No, not Captain Sully. Uh, <laughs> Captain Phillips? Captain, captain Phillips. Phillips. Yeah, yeah, he's always a captain. Somewhere. Or what was the other one where he also was a ship captain? Um, he plays a lot of captains. Yeah, he does. He plays, uh, but in both cases, he was experienced. Because he had dealt with things before. Because he'd done it over and over again. Mm-hmm. I... I um, I mean, so I like to think of it kind of as a comparison of the two different places where you could sail. So, for example, like a, a peaceful northern Minnesota lake, there's mm-hmm. certainly some danger there. You can still drown. It happens from time to time. Might you can also sail cold. there. Yep. Might Could be a little cold. bit cold, right? Um, and it's beautiful. It's pretty, right? Mm-hmm. But um, it's a whole other thing to go sail on the North Atlantic, right? Yeah. It's both more beautiful, but it's also more fearsome and more dangerous, right? 
And so you have this extra level of danger and beauty and even advantage, right? Because there's uh, great money to be made if you can go sail the North Sea, right? Um, but there's also that back end of it is far, far more dangerous. And so that idea of great risk equals great reward. There is no great reward without great risk. I'll admit you you lost me. Now I just have the song Northwest Passage playing in my mind. <laughs> but it's like it's like any job. Like when you go to a new job, if you're working as an iron worker and and that's and that's your job, would you rather be trained by the guy that's been there for a year and missing three fingers? Missing three fingers, or would you rather be there with the old grizzled guy that's been there for twenty three years and really doesn't want to talk to anybody, but he knows what he's doing? That's the guy I want to learn from. Awesome. Yeah. I mean we got to understand that challenges and adversity are like a natural part of life, right? So a storm. Yeah. Oh. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Okay. <laughs> Bryce, I appreciate that. I know. Commentary. That was a terrible yeah. segue. That was sounded like I was reading. All right. I didn't know. <laughs> One is unable to grow without vulnerability, Bryce. So without vulnerability, you can't be sharpened. Like iron doesn't sharpen iron unless iron actually clashes with iron. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. I'm not asking you to concede. I'm just asking you to comment. Oh, comment on iron sharpens iron? Uh, on the comment quote. On what? The vulnerability the Pharisees quote. and following winds never made a skilled sailor. I guess I just don't like the wording of it. Because, listen, listen. A sailor is still skilled if he knows what he's doing. I, I can understand if you're going to call somebody a sailor... If they have that title already in their name, there has to be some pre pre existing knowledge. I, I can I can appreciate what you're saying can, there. Think about it this way. Can you drive a manual car? I wish I could confidently say I could get from A to B. See, so I, I can drive a manual uh pretty well. I humbly say that pretty well. Um so someone who's never driven a manual car they could sit, they could ride in the car with me and say, oh, like, you're skilled. You know how to drive manual. They're not going to say, oh, you're not skilled because you've never driven a manual car in the snow or something like that. Well, first of all, somebody definitely could say that. But then also, how did you get the skill, Bryce? I practiced. Bryce, I, I want you to read the Proverbs before the next podcast. And tell us... Tell us how many of them you hate. <laughs> there will be, there will be a test. Because it, it's the the point is it's a truism. It's not again. It's not a scientific statement. Like the the general point is overcoming adversity makes you stronger. But you oh, say yeah. it that way, and like that's boring. So you make it poetic. Mm. That a sailor on the sea has to face the face the rough seas to become a better sailor. Like yes. You are absolutely correct. There could be a hypothetical sailor, Bob McBoberson, who <laughs> never faces a rough day in his life, but man, he's got it all down. Like, sure. Mm -hmm. The point is, you go through the rough stuff, you get better in general. I th See, that that I can agree with. Yeah. I thought Bob was <laughs> my, the name of a guy. My man just doesn't get poetry. Bob McBoberson. <laughs> I thought Bob was the name of a guy with no arms and no legs swimming in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, Bob McBoberson is the guy I bring out for uh, illustrations. Uh, shout out to, again, uh, Emily uh, uh, Chester, oh, yeah, Chester and uh, my sister from one 
conversation that went to like 3 a.m. at their house. <laughs> I've had a few of those too. I've had a few of those too. Awesome. Nicely done. And we brought Bryce around. I dig it. That mustache looks good, by the way, Bryce. I, oh, I just want to apologize here. I'm I'm still learning podcast manners, and I noticed I've like cut off Charlie three times. No, oh, no, no, you're no, doing no, fine. No, he needs it. You've also got something valuable to say. No, so. please yeah. cut yeah. him off more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This week we read chapter nine of Good News for Anxious Christians by Philip Carey. We'll of course link that down in the show notes below, so you can go buy it on Amazon and read along with us. We got one more chapter to go after this, and then the season will be over. Uh, so we'll throw out a couple of. We'll throw out a uh, two Christmas episodes and a Thanksgiving episode. But otherwise, that season will be over until January. So, um, if you, it's never too late to pick up and join us. Anyway, um, the chapter we're working on this week, though, chapter nine: Why applying it to your life is boring. And I'm gonna jump right on the Bryce train and say I don't like the way he said that, but I do think he's making a valid point. And um, we've had a couple of chapters where we just outwardly said. I get what he's saying, but I've never struggled with this. This chapter hit me right in the heart and uh, worked on me a little bit. So, um, I don't honestly know exactly where to start with this one because it is a really general topic. Um, what he's condemning is sermons which only say, go and do, instead of telling you, who Christ is. It's the stereotypical big box mega church TED Talk sermon. Yeah. That's going to give you 10 steps to fix your marriage. That's a great way to Say describe more. what he's talking about. Say more. Um, uh, it's. Uh, so when we think about using God's word, we want it to shape our lives. Like that. that is the goal of preaching is that you would be shaped by the word of God. And what the, the author notes, uh, he... He sounds remarkably close to being Lutheran. Uh, I had to I had to Google him out of curiosity, so I, I learned, if I remember correctly, he's Anglican, but he really likes Luther. Uh, but I was just struck, again, what he says about the goal is for the Christian to become like Christ, so you want to put the Christian in the Christ mold, but you don't do that by telling the Christian that. You do it by showing them Christ. Yeah. yeah. What's the problem the other way around? So I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. What's the problem with doing it the other way? Why would it be an issue to just tell a Christian, instead of saying, here, I'm going to give you Christ, and then hopefully you'll imitate him, why would it be a problem to preach a sermon that just says, hey, this is what a Christian looks like. Go and do likewise. There's a couple problems. One is... Uh, on a basic level, he he didn't really make this point, but it stands. Uh, then Christianity has nothing different to say from any other religion. It may as well be Aristotle's ethics, or Islam, or take any other religion. But then there's no point in it being different. Another reality of it is uh, he. I thought this illustration was fantastic. That he, he talks about. The, the image in scripture of Christ in the church is the, the bride and bridegroom. And the church is the, the bride waiting for her groom to come. And if you if you want her to have this happy, wonderful wedding, you're, you're not going to like berate her on how she needs to be such a good wife. Because he's coming, you better be ready. Mm -hmm. No, you're going to hype her up. You're going to tell her, 
do you know the guy who's coming? I mean, you know the guy who's coming, but do you know him? <laughs> yeah. Do you know how wonderful he is? Do you know how loving he is? Do you know how patient he is? Do you know, etc. And that doing that for the Christian, it, 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 it spontaneously makes love come forth because the, the love is drawn out of you. And this is, you know, John says it his own way. We love because he first loved us. That you have to receive from Christ to be able to give. Uh, I'm reminded of reading uh, Bonhoeffer's book on the Psalms for Midler class, where he talks about the, the reason we need the Psalms is that the scriptures need to teach us to pray. Otherwise, we would pray out of the poverty of our own souls rather than the riches of Christ. What does that mean? So that what you and I would think on our own is not sufficient to face the world. And it's not sufficient for building a life either. That part of the reason, like we, we pray the Lord's Prayer every church service, and some people might think that's boring, and I would have choice words for them. But the reason we do that is because we want those words to shape us. That the best thing for me to want is for God's name to be hallowed. If everyone treated God's name as holy, that changes everything. If, if everyone wants the kingdom of God to come, for everyone to know him, that also changes everything. And then to do God's will, my, my goodness, we, we would have a perfect world. <laughs> but you don't get that by, by threatening it, by, by commanding it. Like that, that doesn't happen. Instead, that just makes you scared. It just makes you anxious. Uh, I'm sure you guys all know the the struggle of when you so desperately just want to be better. And there's something you're struggling with. Um, whether it's it's a habitual sin, thinking of the, the modern plague of pornography. Or maybe it's just you, you want to make a man of yourself. And you, you have all these little boy tendencies you need to outgrow. And you try and you try and you try and just, ah, it's never good enough. And and you hear the, the commands of Christ and scripture. And it, it takes me back to like being a little kid and doing chores with my mom. And we're going to do, we're going to have like chores the whole day. But I'm like, I don't know, a three to five year old. So I can handle maybe just the next thing. You start telling me more than that and I'm just going to start crying because it's too much. I hear it and I'm like, I, I can't do that. I can't do all of that. And it's kind of a similar thing where you, you hear the demands of God's law and it's just, I, it puts me in that little kid mode of, I can't, I can't love. I can't make that happen. But then you bring me to Christ. And that love just comes forward. You, you really mean it? He died for all my sins? All of them? He, he means it? Then all of a sudden, I'm not thinking about me anymore. I'm thinking about everyone else. And I'm happy to do it, is the crazy thing. is is, is It's not just you're, you're doing it, but you're happy to do it, and it makes you happy. You were scared before, and now you, would, you wouldn't rather do anything else. I, I love it. Sorry, somebody's yelling outside the window. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, you must have been reading my journal again because you just like narrated my entire 
<laughs> my entire young adult life. Um, but I, I, so you, you, you kind of came at it from a positive angle. I, I want to come at it from a, from a little bit more negative angle. Mm. The moment that I become the center of the story, so whether because uh, you get a lot of modern preachers telling you like read yourself into the text, and to some degree, that is beneficial and helpful and appropriate. But a lot of times that American idea, like the, it, Philip Carey keeps talking about commercialism. It's his favorite word is commercialism, right? He just mm-hmm. blames everything on commercialism. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure he's wrong. Um, but um, that commercialist idea of Christianity then, when it seeps into Christianity, is that I'm the center of the, the universe. I'm the center of the story. Christ's story is all about me. It's all about my salvation, so forth, which then puts the impetus on me to make sure that my faith is secure, make sure that I'm doing the things that I should be doing so that I can be a good Christian, so that Christ can live me, so that Christ can save me. And very quickly, instead of um, keeping my eyes set on Christ and having hope in his sacrifice and his salvation, very quickly I become the Savior. Right? And the moment I become the Savior, I basically am eliminating my own need for Christ and for the Christian faith, which is where you started, right? Mm. My faith is nothing if there is not a Savior who has died for me in my place as my substitute and taken that burden upon himself. And so the moment I become the center of the story and not Christ, then it's my responsibility to save myself. And if you're going to paraphrase the first five chapters, six chapters of Romans, it would be you will be measured by the measure you choose, right? If you choose to uh, lean upon your own righteousness, then your own righteousness better be enough to merit salvation. If you choose to depend on Christ, it will be enough to merit your own salvation. I came at it from a little bit of a different angle, and I think uh, the author kind of indicates this too. I, I took exception with the fact that he said that it becomes boring when we just focus on the application. Um, but he did have a couple of words that I agreed with in the fact that he was saying that when we do focus on ourselves instead of on Christ, we begin to wonder, am I ever going to be enough? Like that was one of the big things that hit home with me was the fact that the author was saying, when we begin to look solely into ourselves, then we begin to question whether or not we are that type of Christian that the pastor's talking about on Sunday. I can't be that kind of Christian. I could never be that kind of Christian. And it takes the focus away from the one that we should be focusing on. Yeah. I also, I was struck by how frequently and how boldly he condemned being relevant. Mm -hmm. Right? Which, logically... You want to be relevant, right? But he very staunchly condemned trying to make the gospel relevant. Why? Because then it's your values shaping everything. Th- thank you for the reminder to <laughs> lean into the mic because that would help the podcast. Um, because then our values shape well, everything. So you want like and- six inches. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. If you're gonna talk quiet, you gotta get closer. Okay. But if you're gonna be loud, then you get back. There. That's all. All right. Perfect. Like I like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. No problem. Uh, you're good. But chasing relevance. This goes with the consumerism thing. Is that then everything depends on me and what I want and my own vision of good. And and frankly, our vision of good is inadequate. It's evil, even. And if I'm just chasing what can I get out of this, then a, a person who, who only has that mindset 
could never understand why we read the scriptures our whole lives. Why you, you are digging and digging even through the same passages to find new insights, to learn, to be shaped. Why it would be valuable to, to memorize scripture. And especially on relevance, it's that you, you lose uh, the, the thing in itself, I think is the phrase he used, which there are phil philosophical uh, connotations and references there, but I, I don't quite remember all the who's and well, what's what I, it. What I pulled out was when we try and make the gospel relevant, we try to reshape Christ into our own terms. Yeah. Right. Um, and when I shape Christ in my terms, he just becomes what I imagine him to be and not what he actually is. And I don't need him, as you just said, I don't need him to be a Christ I understand. I need him to be a Christ that dies on the cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he describes him as, as being beautiful and wonderful. And at one point, he, in paraphrasing a little bit, he kind of says, beautiful things aren't beautiful because we make them beautiful ourselves. Beautiful things are beautiful in and of themselves. And that's the same with Christ. That's uh, what makes you beautiful, Connor. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, I also uh, liked one of the sections, or kind of two of the sections that he was talking about, where he says, one of them is titled, Learning to Be a Sinner, and then, again, the application trap after that. And in that section, he says, not learning to be a sinner in the way that we are learning how to sin, but learning to be okay with the fact that we are sinners, and that's exactly who Christ came to save. And... Uh, he says, uh, it, at one point he says, it's okay to be in the same boat as Peter and Paul because, yeah. you know, and I really enjoy that because these are people that we hold up in the church as worth looking up to. And yet Peter denying Christ, you know, and, and Paul persecuting the young church at the time. And yet those are the exact same people that Christ came to save. And so it's not about the person himself. It's about the one that came to save. What he kept, the phrase he kept using over and over that was really impactful on me was, he came to save people like you. He came for people like you. And that, like, when it started to sink in, it was uh, probably the most impactful <laughs> phrase in, in the chapter, for me personally, at least. From a, from a preaching perspective, in homiletics, we're talking about making sermons practical in, in a way but not making things relevant, getting them to the point where it's all do this, do this, do this. And towards the beginning of the chapter, uh, Carrie repeats a phrase that sort of, sort of painted a good picture of why you don't want to do that. He says, uh, I don't come to church to hear about myself, but about Jesus Christ. Because when you have your congregation me members who have been beaten down by sin for days upon days and days. When they come to church, they don't want to hear, oh, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got What's going to be the most impactful for them and the best for them is to hear about Jesus because he already did it for them. And they're going to get that comfort, the hope, and the reason for their salvation. And that is exactly what they need. When you're in love with your wife, do you talk about how wonderful marriage is or how wonderful your wife is? Exactly. Right? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know either. <laughs> no, None of us would know. know. But, <laughs> but I mean, think about it. Like, think about Mark Pelstian. Does he talk about how wonderful marriage is? Yeah. But what does he talk about a whole lot more often? His wife. How wonderful Connie is. Yep. Right? And that's it's a benign example, right? But the, I, I mean, same thing. You don't talk about how, like, if you got a, if you buy a nice car, you don't talk about how wonderful Dodge is makes cars and how cool the guy on the on the assembly assembly line is you talk about how cool your car is 
right? Also not a great example, yeah. but you know what I mean. He does, he does have a really good analogy in there. It's like when you take a picture. And he says that when you take a picture, what you're focused on is what's going to show up in that picture. So in that respect, our lives are the background of the picture. And if you want the picture to be focused on the individual you're taking the picture of, then the background begins to blur away. Your life begins to blur away. And the focal point, Christ, that's the thing that's the sharpest and clearest image in our minds. That yeah. makes me think uh, something I've, I've heard before. I think it was Professor Schmoller at MLC that the, the goal of preaching, the, the goal of the preacher is to just get out of the way so people can see Christ. Mm -hmm. So as if, so to speak, you know, when you get up in the pulpit, Jesus is standing right behind you. And all you want to do is step to the side so they can see him. Yeah, or to take it a little different direction, to quote Seth from last week, let the gospel out, man. <laughs> like, let it out. Yeah. Let it out and do its thing. And you can't it. do that if you're if you're keeping the gospel on a leash, right? If you're trying to tame the gospel or dumb it down or whatever, pulling its teeth, it, it won't do what what it's made to do. So just let the, let the gospel out. That makes me think uh, the, the German idiom for evangelizing is uh, das Evangelium treiben, which uh, the, the verb treiben means it's when, like, you have a horse and buggy and you're cracking the whip. So it's to crack the whip for the gospel to drive it out there. Oh, I like that a lot. Wow. I, I will say, I though, love every the variety hear, of people that yeah. we have. Like, <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Uh, also, you every time first. I hear a new, <laughs> every time I hear a new German phrase, it just always sounds like a joke. <laughs> it does. But it's awesome. Say that again in German. Das Evangelium treiben. Das Evangelium treiben. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go use it on some girl somewhere, but hey, you know what? Uh, you know what? Yeah, you know how to spread the gospel in German? <laughs> what? Because <laughs> I don't, but I know a word that's related to it. I'm sure that'll work. Das Evangelium Treiben? Evangelium Treiben. Evangelium Treiben. There you go. If you're at home, Evangelium Treiben. So, so in German, if you, so you, you take the word gospel, think of like how it's spelled in Greek, oiangelion, but change the like U to a V. And then in German, if you have a V at the start of a word, you pronounce it as an F. So a fangalium. Yeah. <laughs> I can order Don't a worry. I, I've, I've bored. I've made all your viewers bored. No, definitely not. No. Dude, this is better this is a peak we've made in a long time. <laughs> this is a peek behind the curtain at what we do here. I can order a beer in Spanish, but that's about it. <laughs> I could do a couple other things in Spanish, but none of them are beneficial yeah. or wise. Yeah. All right, going on to trivia here. We have, you guys have a ringer today. Yeah, for sure. Bryce is still the reigning champion. Isn't that and I'm not by any means surprised that Bryce is good at trivia. Um, let's see, though, good at guessing. if he can be. <laughs> That's what trivia is, isn't it? Yep. Make, guessing and making it look like you always do. do. Do you know the trivia of the word trivia? Tell us. So you, you have trivia, so the three roads. It was a place, I think, somewhere in Rome, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. But it was a place that three roads would meet, and people would just meet to talk. You are a fascinating That's man. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Well, let's. You got your Roman history down. Let's see if you got any American history down. Here we go. By the way, what are we drinking tonight, Bryce? Got a Shell's Nordeast. Uh, sorry, now I'm being a, now I'm being a prick. But it's, Grain Belt. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, Pepsi. <laughs> I have this delicious Irish Irish whiskey, which you so graciously gave me from Kirkland, and it's delicious. 
It's delicious. Even, even better, a little bias in it. All right, I got to open a course now. I feel bad. <laughs> a banquet beer, and I'm drinking hams. So we're doing hot hams, hams. Uh, we're going high class tonight. Kirkland whiskey, grain belt. It's good grain stuff. Yeah. I mean, Nordeast is one of the best beers in the Midwest. And then uh, banquet beer and hams. I'm probably drinking the trashiest one. That's all right. It's still good beer. Uh, one cheap. is enough. Cheap and but good. It's good beer. Yeah. All right, here we go. Question number one. This Los Angeles revival, which led to the modern Pentecostal movement, began in 1906 and lasted for three years, services being held three times a day, seven days a week. Oh. So L.A., 1906, it resulted in the, Pentecost, the modern Pentecostal movement. Was it A, the Layman's Prayer Revival, B, the Jesus People Movement, C, the Azusa Street Revival, or D, the Great Awakening. What year was it again? 1906 in Los Angeles. Give me A and B again. A, the Layman's Prayer Revival, B, the Jesus People Movement, C, the Azusa Street Revival, or D, the Great Awakening. So uh, I, I haven't done this before. Is this like a first person to buzz in thing? or uh, yeah, uh, just, You can yeah. lock in your answer and then I'll tell you the answer. Okay, Azusa Street Revival. What do you think, Bryce? He C. said that so confident. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I should have cut my heart. And he's right. Yeah. Yep. Azusa Street Revival. It helps Azusa that we Street recently Revival. went over this in we, church history. We have but... to guess first, and then and then he'll give us the right <laughs> answer oh, yeah. after that. Okay, do you guys know what led to the first, well, really the establishment of the Pentecostal church to begin with, but the first, um, so this says the, the modern Pentecostal movement. Do you know what the, the when the original, that kind of resulted in all these different American denominations happened? Wasn't that I'll give the... you a chance? I'll give you a clue. It's related to a to an SSC, SEC football team. Oh, in name at least. I don't know football, so that doesn't help me. The Tennessee Volunteers had a um, mass. Really? One of the reasons why the Civil War lasted for so long mm-hmm. was that the Tennessee Volunteers had a tent revival, oh. and the Baptists, the Anabaptists, and the Presbyterians all got together and teamed up. To put on this giant tent revival, okay. and that's where you get like the snake churches. That's snake where you ambulance. get um, like the really wild out there Baptists, and that's where you get the modern Pentecostal movement coming out of those. Mm. Situ- eventually, like not as a direct result. Yeah, interesting, but, yeah. And um, a lot of American church scholars will point to that as the moment where it became okay to kind of pick and choose your theology. Because you have this conglomeration of preachers from different denominations who said, we're going to put our differences aside for the sake of the cause at this moment because it's greater than our differences. Which I can't really honestly argue with that in the moment in time in history. But it then had some major consequences down the road. All right, question number two. Everybody's one for one. What British monk disputed Augustine's view of predestination teaching instead that there is no original sin, that man is capable of choosing to reject evil, and indeed able to obtain perfection. Do you even want the choices, or do you just want to go for it? Hold on, I want the choices. Okay. Yeah, we want the choices. <laughs> yeah. I, I can just shoot that one right out. Uh, just wait, you wait. All right. Is it A, Pelagius, B, Julian, C, Mercator, or D, Atticus? And they are all from the appropriate century and... From the appropriate area. One more time. So if you Pelagius, get this wrong, I Julian, will be Mercator, oh, or Atticus. Go first, Connor. We haven't covered Augustine in class yet. 
So you should still know he's the Doctor Ecclesia. <laughs> Say it again. Say Pelagius, it again. Julian, Mercator, or Atticus. Oh, I don't like this pressure. Oh. There's no way it's Pelagius because we just went over that in class today for church history. And uh, sorry, there are people being <laughs> loud. Um, I don't like this pressure. <laughs> just, just Atticus. That's gonna be my guess. I'm going with Pelagius because that sounds like his heresy. So, Pelagius, it is. Yep. yep. Really? Pelagius, it is. Yep. Yeah. We okay. just I learned about this. I know. I just learned. There about is it no original sin. Think... Man is capable of choosing to reject evil, and oh, they are able I to make so to question. obtain perfection. Okay. Okay. I understand. So one of the one of the yeah, yeah. chief areas. Yep. Yep. Er- yep, yep errors yep, yep. is Pelagianism. My apologies. Professor Wendland, if you're listening, I apologize. Please don't mark me. We wrong. learned about that today, didn't we? I know, we literally <laughs> did. I misunderstood the question. The funny that thing is, is it's, it's just did, nerves. I may or may not have. Well, I did the. I put this together on Monday, mm-hmm. and did not know that we were going to cover the content mm. on, in class today. Oh, I feel All right. really stupid for missing that. That's okay. Connor is one, one for two. One for two. Everybody else is two for two. Here we go. Question number three: Which 18th century Lutheran composer and hymn writer, all or hymn writers credited works in many modern hymnals, include "Break forth, O beauteous heavenly light," "Tis good Lord to be here," and "O sacred head now wounded." I'm going to read that again. Which 18th century Lutheran composer and hymn writer uh, has credited works in many modern hymnals, including "Break forth, O beauteous heavenly light," "Tis good Lord to be here," and "O sacred head now wounded." Is it A, Haydn, B, Mozart, C, Beethoven, or D, Bach? Once again, they're all German and from the 18th century, so ha! Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, Bach. Yep, just fire from the hip, Bach. <laughs> I'm going to go Haydn. A. You're going to go Haydn? Everybody's tied up, it's Bach! I oh, thought uh-huh. I thought um, uh, break forth obedience heavenly light was going to be the was going to be yeah, the I, uh, you, so you get post Gerhard and I'm a, I'm a none little of less. those three the reason I picked those three is that none of those three are original compositions by Bach right but he oh, rearranged them and all of them he rearranged them uh, break forth obedience heavenly light and oh sacred head now wounded are both ancient pieces that he reworked. To for the German people, and now mm. we sing his melodies instead of the ancient melodies. Feels good to be I, back in the running. I feel so cheated. It should be, that question should be thrown out because it was a trick question. No, the question said, is credited in many modern hymnals. And that's yeah. an accurate yeah. question. All right. I don't like it. Tiebreaker. Here we go. Oh, and then we've got another one after. No, we don't. Never mind. This is the last one. Tiebreaker. Ah. Here we go. What evangelical parachurch organization for men... Was founded in 1990 by University of Foot or University of Football, <laughs> University of Colorado head football coach Bill McCartney, and whose 1997 Sacred Assembly of Men on a National Mall was covered by C-SPAN in its entirety, and there were more than 10,000 men there. <laughs> there I'm sorry, more than 100,000 men there. I was born in '98, oh. so I don't. Know um, was it A. The National Coalition of Ministries to Men? B, Promise Keepers, C, Man in the Mirror, or D, Iron Sharpens Iron. I'm going to let you guys guess first. 
Do, do you know, or are you just mooching? I'm pretty sure I know. Repeat mm. the options again. The National Coalition of Ministries to Men, Promise Keepers, Man in the Mirror, or Iron Sharpens Iron? Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers. Iron Sharpens Iron. Promise Keepers it is. Dethroned. Dethroned. Bryce has been dethroned. I listened to, uh, oh, what is what is that book? Uh, Wild at Heart over Vicar Year. And he mentions that. That's the only reason I, I knew so that. So the, the new leader of Promise Keepers wrote um, uh, his own book for men called Rise of the Servant Kings. Mm. Vastly better. Not theologically, not yeah. always square. Um, but vastly better than Wild at Heart. <laughs> I used to be a big lover of Wild at Heart, and I have it's. I mean, I think I still have a copy on the shelf. I still get all the Eldridge books because so many people read them, mm-hmm. but I've stopped handing them out myself. Yeah. Which college was that again? Colorado University. Yeah, of I thought football. it was football. <laughs> <laughs> University of Colorado at, at Boulder. There was another football coach. I forget what college it was, but he used Iron Sharpens Iron as a. I think that was Martin Luther College. No, it wasn't. No, no, that's uh, that's where that's where Hebner got it from. But he, I wasn't sure how far that one coach took it, so I was like, ah, that's probably a good guess. Yeah, Hmm. yeah. Uh, Well, this like this like I said, this was nationally covered and it was huge. Mm. So yeah, all right, nicely done, fellas. You did great. Top three overrated desserts this week. Desserts oh. that are overrated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not good, but they're overrated. All right. Anybody have one that they want to lead with? Sure thing. Carrot cake right off the bat. Oh, that's a good. Mm. Carrot okay, cake. Okay, but good carrot cake is good, though. I've had good carrot cake for sure. But when you go to Walmart and you buy their <laughs> carrot cake, terrible, 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 terrible. It's the only dessert that I don't like a quick trip to. Of their yeah, bakery. I don't like their cake yeah. either. I like their pumpkin, right? Speaking of, uh, I'm gonna lead with uh, quick trip glazers. Thank you. I, I yeah, love quick them. trip glazers are not. Yeah. They're they're dear, but especially with uh, with with people's funds going off, they they're oversaturated. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm trying to dunkers, lose some weight. The dunkers yeah. are better than the glazers. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But they're still gas station donuts. Yeah. yeah, they're good. They're still gas station donuts. There's something. There's something in the morning if you need to run. Like okay, Quick whatever. Trip is not just a gas station. It's just a gas station. <laughs> it is a lifestyle. Having worked there, it it's is just a, a lifestyle. It's, it's uh, also just a gas station. It's Zach Zuberbeer's favorite restaurant. Wow, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of our inside you got, jokes. You got one, Bryce. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just gonna go with regular cake. Like I love ice cream like cake. Birthday cake. Like birthday meat cake. Just regular like. Anything where it's just a regular cake. Any flavor in particular? Any uh, red velvet or vanilla. Or wait, 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 wait. You say regular, which is like, like indicating bake, bake, bland, no, 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 generic. No, like yellow. And then, and then, then you say red velvet. No, like regular. I could accept just general generic okay whatever yeah, okay, whatever like, you know philosophically that is acceptable yeah. but then you choose the specific category of red velvet just just listen listen for okay, a second okay enlighten me when i say regular cake i mean regularly baked so like 
where you put the flour and the whatever and all the ingredients and you throw is, it is in there the like oven. A what do you mean French by press mode of baking? Like, <laughs> okay, what do you like, mean? Okay. Ice cream cake the, is not the, regular cake. Does, does the baker have to do a 360 no scope? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> no, it's okay. Hokey pokey. Do you, do you bake an ice cream cake? No. Yes! I you the, bake the you cake bake... portion of the ice cream yeah, cake. Yes, but listen, it has ice cream no, in it. No, I buy it from Dairy reg- Queen. Like everyone else. Yeah, like a sane person. Okay, but, it, <laughs> but ice cream cake is different than regular cake. Because okay. regular cake is Bryce, just... Bryce, what makes it ice cream cake and not just a giant sheet of ice cream? It has cake on it. And how do you make cake? But it's not regular cake by itself. <laughs> regular cake okay, is can just... We, can Bryce, we at least am, get you to I'm concede that red velvet cake is not normal cake? No, because it's still... It's just regular <sighs> cake okay, okay. with food coloring. Hold, hold, it has hold. buttercream frosting on it. It is not regular cake with food coloring. If, if somebody's trying to right. sell red velvet cake and it is actually... Uh, regular cake with red food coloring in it. I am on your team, but you are wrong about red velvet cake. I, I'll give you one chance. Explain to me your category of regular cake. Regular, what makes it regular? Define our terms. Anything, Be a dogmatician. A do- okay. Anything you can go to the store. Okay. Buy one of those little packs. Betty Crocker. Throw some ingredients in it, throw it in the oven, out comes a cake. That's that is so great. broad. That, but that, that's, that's either a, so broad that that's that doesn't help the conversation, or you mean like specifically like the 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 like top shelf versus bottom shelf of cakes, and you're saying like yeah, bottom shelf, and in which case that doesn't help much either. Let's let's ask this question: Would red velvet cake? from like a restaurant or a bakery that specializes in desserts be good no because okay listen 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 <gasps> Whoa. Wow. i'm not gonna lie i sort of blanked when i heard your question that's fine but you see anything anything velvet. that's <laughs> anything that's bread with frosting that's what cake is right bread with frosting is overrated i see charlie looking so disappointed right now Okay, all right, I'll why just change we... my answer to say red velvet cake is overrated. All righty, that, that way it'll save us. Charlie, what's your what's your uh... Jello? Okay. I hate Jello. Yeah, I it's wiggly, that. it's slurpy, it yeah. never stays. It's gross. And then if you get the little old ladies at church to put like whipped cream and carrots and stuff in it, <laughs> Jello is the worst. Yeah, you're terrible. You I just said red velvet <laughs> cake isn't good. Yes, and now red... you're telling me I'm terrible for saying Jello's not good. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, so you're my fired. my my number two is pineapple upside down cake. I'm on the same train. Yeah. I would. I don't really care for pineapple pizza. in general, but that's yeah. Yeah, we need to keep our fruit and our cake separate. Just oh, saying sure. that wouldn't be regular cake because it has pineapple in it. Okay. So you'd put just that to help my point. How is that's why we have them out okay. here. Right, but I'm going with you. I'm going to say fruit pizza also. It's not fruit dessert. Pizza. It's just fruit it's, that you ruin by it's a putting fruit salad sugar decided, on it. Yeah. Yeah. You're terrible. A fruit salad identity. on a pizza. Yeah, I mean, identity, identity crisis. Go ahead. Of course, now everyone's looking at me. I have it pictured in my head, but I'm, I can't think of the, the name of it. The, 
the sticky thing made with cereal. Uh, Rice Krispie treats? Yeah, Rice Krispies. You don't like that. I, you know, I, I won't no, disagree no, no, no. Hold, Charlie hold, just hates hold, everybody right hold, now. Yeah. I hold did on. say, I hold did on. define my terms to say it's not that it's not good, it's just that it's overrated. It, I, I can actually I'm, get behind you. I'm also thinking, like, if it's good Rice Krispies, that's one thing. But so often, like, when it's set out in, like, a cafeteria sitting, it's, oh, like, yeah. gotten, like, hard, and it's just disappointing. So, it, like, for, for me, it's with the asterisk of, like, thinking about, you, you take the grand sum of all Rice Krispie treats, and and right there in the middle is the hard thing that's set out that's just disappointing. Yeah. Actually, now that you say all that, I can't remember the last time I had a Rice Krispie treat and thought, yeah, that was worth it. But what, when it is I know, good, I know it's happening. When it is I good, I can't tell yeah. you when the it's last great. time was. You need to make it. But with when fruity it's not pebbles. good, it's just it's just disappointing. Yeah. Fruity pebbles. When you make them with fruity pebbles, mm. they're pretty good. When they're gooey and you have to like pry them out of the pan mm-hmm. and they kind of like mm. goop a oh. That's not bad. All right, what or what heretical thing do you have now for us? <laughs> oh boy! Uh, Before uh, you say it, you're already wrong. Yeah. Just so you know, we In declare the... our anathema preemptively. <laughs> yeah. There's gonna be a whole new creed, the Bryce Creed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figure in the spirit of Thanksgiving, mm. I will say pumpkin pie. Ah, jeez, jeez. I kind of get it though. Are we talking? I like love gas pumpkin station pie, pumpkin but I kind of not, not that it's not good. It's overrated. Very overrated. I will also say, I used to think that uh, sweet potato pie and pumpkin pie were basically the same thing. A good sweet potato pie blows a pumpkin pie out of the water. And the first I, time I had a really good sweet potato pie, I kind of ruined pumpkin pie for me. Shout-outs to uh, Mrs. Taylor, uh, dear mom and, and a, 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 a teacher in a congregation where I served as a vicar, had a bunch of us, the staff over for a Thanksgiving dinner. That sweet potato pie was amazing. What are they doing? They're really into it. They are rioting out there from his opinions. Yeah. They heard your takes on dessert. What were you about to say, though? Oh, I was just about to say sweet potato isn't a dessert. Sweet potato pie is. It's like saying apples aren't a dessert. Like, yeah, you're right, but apple pie is. By the way, what do you eat with your apple pie? I, I Whatever it's cream. served with. I don't like apple pie. So. Vanilla ice cream. You don't like If apple you're a real Wisconsinite, you eat it with uh, with sharp cheddar cheese. I've always wanted to blown, try it. It will blown your mind. Yeah. It past will blown your mind. Yeah. Already past tense. It will have <laughs> I blown your mind. I think that'll make yeah. me... Yeah. I'm talking to Arist here. It yeah. will have already... Well, it's no, that future be, perfect. That, it's that yeah. hard... Well, pluperfect would be... It's that hard sheet of ice you're driving across. I think that would make me not enjoy it as much as I already do. I'm willing to try it. Like I've never tried it before. So. Did, are, it just is a genuine question, yeah, Bryce. Mm-hmm. When, like, when we're naming these things, are you thinking of like the the gas station versions or like the pick and save versions? No. Or are you They're thinking like of homemade, like homemade? Homemade. Ones? Interesting. The so, only, what do you like? The only okay. I've never been a fan of pie. Mm. Okay, mm. but the one pie that I did enjoy was. A member from our, my dad's old conversation or conversation you, congregation made you us. Say rhubarb, you say rhubarb. Made me a rhubarb pie. Oh, and it. I really rhubarb liked pie it. is great, Connor. I don't know what's wrong with you. And how, how can you be from Michigan and not like rhubarb? Rhubarb pie is disgusting. But, but like pumpkin what? pie, I can do. Pie is disgusting. Even though it's overrated, mm. apple pie I cannot do. But and then every other try a, a pie I've tried, I just I don't like pie. I don't like cake because it's 
like you have I, w- a one bite too much of frosting and you just feel sick. Are you more of a texture guy or flavor guy? Ooh. With dessert in particular? Mm-hmm. Texture. Probably. That helps me understand you a lot uh, more. Yeah. So do you like Rice Krispies? They're okay. Okay. Well, I'm just trying to figure out the texture then. Because brownie. So I, you like your brownies uh, risen, or do you like them when they're like caked, like not caked, that necessarily, but like really thick. Like, um, I will take a like you know. Do you like them uh, light and fluffy, or do you like them thick, like dense? That's the word I'm thinking of. Dense. Ooh, I don't like dense brownies. Yeah. Okay. But like, but like. <laughs> I if I if I could have a choice to choose a dessert to eat for the rest of my life, it would definitely be ice cream. I'm with you. I like yeah. ice cream. Yeah. All right. Uh, my last one was key lime pie. I not bad, but overrated for sure. I don't know anyone who's wild about key lime pie. Yeah. I like, do. I think that's extremely accurately yeah. rated just from the people that I know. I I've known some people, like even some family members, who just ate it every time they possibly huh. could. Hmm. What's yeah. your uh, what's your last one? Just specifically the flavor, chocolate ice cream. Hmm. Mm. What's your favorite flavor ice cream? It's tough. Probably go strawberry. Oh, mm. I like the I like raspberry with dark chocolate chunks mm. in it. Mm. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, oatmeal raisin cookies. Oh yeah, it's not Terrible. a cookie. Terrible. Kelvin it's... Johannes, that's his favorite cookie. What? Yeah. I knew there was something wrong with him. Well, he, yeah. <laughs> Either that or tiramisu. I don't like tiramisu. I like tiramisu with a good cup of coffee. You got that look in your eye, Bryce. Erdof, it's funny that you said strawberry ice cream. Oh, no. <laughs> it was your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for my, for my ice cream, I like to have toppings and whatever, but... Vanilla is by far the best ice cream, hundred percent. I'm I like vanilla more and more the older I get. Yeah, Moose Tracks, awesome. no Superman. I'm not saying mm. it's at the top of my list. I'm saying I appreciate it more, especially good vanilla. I appreciate it more and more I, the older. I'm with I you get. there. Rainbow sherbet, amazing. Mm, good. Oh vanilla is extremely goodness. versatile. I cannot. Do you just say rainbow sherbet? I yeah, yeah so, I literally think he is just I, so like my pure, no, the epitome of the opposite of everything. No, this for. is my pyramid of ice creams, really quick. Just okay. so everyone knows, he's he's lifting his hands high up in the air. Also, like he just care. so everybody knows, including Bryce, sherbet is not ice cream. It's not. Yeah, it's like a prozo. Do it? Do you yeah. say sherbet or sherbert? Sherbet. I've heard both. Sorbet. No, no, <laughs> sherbet. So really quick. Is period. gelato ice cream? What's gelato? Who okay. is he? I don't Italian know. ice cream. Oh. Yeah, probably not. Mm. I don't know. Really quick, though. Bottom tier of my pyramid. Rainbow sherbet. Mint chocolate chip. Oh, yeah. I agree with you there. Mid-tier. Cookie dough and vanilla. Top tier. Just straight up vanilla with a little bit of hot fudge on it. I You just said mint chocolate chip. I once had a grasshopper ice cream that actually had grasshopper legs in it, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Huh. the The texture was actually absolutely perfect. It was yeah. unbelievable. I was ready and prepared to hate it. That's wild. It was Ooh. so good. So you you had uh, 
you had the modern version of the John the Baptist diet. Yeah. yeah. Instead of milk, honey, and grasshoppers. He just got it all together. Just, yeah, yeah, mixed it all up with some ice. It's, yeah. it's State Fair John the Baptist. All right, we got to keep cruising, but go ahead. So a grasshopper walks into a bar. Oh, boy. Bartender asks him what drinks you... Dr- what drink he wants and he goes oh we actually got a we got a drink named after you the grasshopper goes oh you got a drink named steve <laughs> i love it do you get it because yeah, like yeah. oh yeah grasshopper yeah, explain is, it to us Brian, so please. Gra- gonna help. grasshopper is like an alcoholic drink so when the grasshopper walked into the bar and the bartender said that to him... I'm assuming the grasshopper's name was Steve. Yeah, the grasshopper's name was Steve, was not his, grasshopper. Was his, well, was his full name Stephen or yeah, Stephen? Yeah. Or was, was this grasshopper named, named in honor of Professor Geiger? Mm-hmm. How long does a giant grasshopper live? Like, what is the lifespan on a giant grasshopper? Mm. I don't know, but he's going into a bar, so probably <laughs> at least 21 years. <laughs> or is that 21 years relative to it? Anyway? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like dog years, like grasshopper years. years. So it's only like three years. So old. like um, if, if the life total lifespan is We've three years, it. then by the time you get to three, then you're actually 70. Did you, did you guys hear about the oldest like dog just died? Yeah, he was like, 31. I yeah, did see 31 that. in human years. Is there years. a punchline coming? No, or no, 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 that's no, like no, legit no, news. No, that's a real thing. This this makes me think of the memes when uh, the lemur from Zabumafu died. Oh, yeah. Do you know what Zabumafu is? Yeah, I remember Zabumafu. Okay. Okay. Do you know yeah. what Zabumafu is? Madagascar died? or something? Okay, what? let's just go. They're you. young. They're young. Okay. Anyway, I'm be- okay. when we go down to my folks' house to do that uh, Christmas podcast, I'm going to request ahead of time that she makes um, rhubarb pie and t- say it's because you love it. And get a big old don't rhubarb do pie. Don't you do that? And she's going to be so excited. But Connor, and you're going to have to eat it. I'm going to eat it because I'm going to have to eat it. That's yeah. a great idea because then I'd get some too. <laughs> I know, and I love it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to our reading this week. I didn't write down what week of the church year it is, but we are reading from Revelation. It's All Saints Day. Um, we are, so I chose the reading from All Saints Day. Let me clarify that. Um, so we're reading for Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Got the ESV here. Uh, I'll read 9 and 10. Bridos, why don't you read 11 and 12, Connor 13, 14, and then, um, Isaiah, you can read to the end. Sound All good? Right. Awesome. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where do they come? From where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their lo- <laughs> they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, 
neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This makes you smile, right? I want to sing Jerusalem to Golden now. Yeah. Which tune? Oh, <laughs> the right the one, one that Bach wrote. Okay, that mm-hmm. I'll just... I, it landed okay. Okay. a little bit. Yeah. So they're both excellent. So Jupiter, you can't argue with Holst, right? Holst, everything Holst writes is beautiful. Um, Jupiter is also beautiful, but there's something haunting and wonderful about the. The old one. It's nostalgic. Jerusalem, the golden, with milk and honey blessed. It's just, go- it's haunting. It, it, it's the nostalgic longing for heaven. It, it C.S. Lewis talks about the idea of what human being, that there's an innate sense of eternity in the, the heart of man, that we were made for something better, something perfect, something more real. That's the, the, the great divorce that... That heaven itself just is more real, and I, I love the other tune, but that works so much better for uh, uh, in the Missouri Synod hymnal. They have that set to uh, uh, what's effectively the Te Deum. We praise you and acknowledge you, O God, to be the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the bombast oh there, amazing. Ten out of ten, perfect. That's what the Te Deum should be. But Jerusalem, the golden, it's about the yearning. Mm. See, but Jupiter, <laughs> it, it, it is, is good. Is the is the, good. the majesty of the throne and of the halls of God, right? Yeah, they're both good. They're both great. Ah, I just think Ju- now you Jerusalem, know what I'm gonna be doing after is... this. Like uh, as I'm getting ready for bed, you know it's gonna be cranking. Jerusalem, the golden is is staring out the window and thinking, "Is this it?" Yeah, and to me, yeah, the the other, the haunting tune works better. But I agree, both it great. does work both better. great. Ah man, you've cemented it now in my mind. It is de- it works better. Shout out to Race Cole because he convinced me on that one. Awesome, cool. <sighs> what we got? I just think right away in verse nine, just the picture of a great multitude from every nation, all tribes and people. And I know we can't imagine it right now, but all the people in this world from across the nation, across the world, we don't know them, but they know Jesus. We know Jesus. And we're all going to be in heaven one day together. I just think that's cool. You'll hear people say every once in a while, like, I think you're going to be surprised who's in heaven. It's always a little bit snarky, right? Yeah. Like, there's a little bit of condemnation. I can't wait to be surprised about who's in heaven. Mm. You know, I can't wait to show up and be like, dude, you're here. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I'm so glad you're here, you know. Um, and to not have the stinging underside of that, um, I, I'm very excited. With this verse, I'm reminded uh, Hans Feeney, the guy behind Lutheran satire, uh, he, he once tweeted, uh, you know, he was asked, who's your favorite character in the Bible? And his answer was, my wife, because of this verse thinking the great multitude John saw her there which I think is is one of the 
like most delightful kind of tongue-in-cheek mm, answers I've like ever that. heard yeah. for a Bible question. Definitely one of some points, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, I, I, the question for me is always, what does heaven look like, right? And I think this is probably one of the closest spots we have to really understanding what heaven looks like, or maybe not even like what heaven looks like, but what what is heaven like? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we probably all struggled as kids with the idea like sitting around and we've heard all the comedians make jokes about sitting around playing harps and, you know, country songs. Like, I don't want to go to heaven if there isn't a back road and whatever, right? But the idea that they simply stand before the throne of God and serve him damn night in his temple. Nothing else. They don't have to worry about hunger or thirst. They don't have to take care of their needs. It's all, everything is, like you said, it's more real. Um... It is the thing that they do is simply be in the presence of their Savior. Right? And what do we long for? When we have those brief moments on this earth of peace, those are the moments that we spend with our Savior, right? And to take that then and elevate it to all eternity in its full intensity. I mean, Peter and, and James and John fall on their faces at a small glimpse of his glory and, and babbled like idiots, right? Imagine seeing him on his throne. And being able to stay there forever. This is uh, kind of wrapping around to the start of the podcast. This is part of the reason of my appreciation for liturgical worship, is that it it the the setting is supposed to be the the throne room of God. So you, we we come in. And the first thing we do is we confess our sins, and God is is faithful and just, and He forgives us all of our sins. And, and we we hit the first peak of the service, the sermon, and, and there God tells us. What he wants us to know, if, if it's, you know, higher church and you have a gospel procession, then, then Christ is in the midst of his people, like the, the lamb being in the center of the city and the light radiating. And then you hit the twin peak uh, of uh, the Lord's Supper. And there we have the liturgical song of the Sanctus, holy, holy, holy from Isaiah 6, where he, he trembles in fear before God. But but the angel takes the, the coals from the altar and says, see, this has touched your lips in the same way in the Lord's Supper, the, the Lord Jesus comes to us in a very personal way. And, and the thought that then this is this is all a, a foreshadowing of the marriage feast to come, that, that each Sunday is a little reenactment of Revelation. Yeah, and tying that to the wedding feast idea, right? Like in the parables, you see the wedding clothes, and all these folks standing before the throne of God are wearing their wedding clothes, if you will, right? And how have they been washed clean? They haven't washed them clean themselves. They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so you still have that brutal idea of this is, this is blood, right? And, and one of my favorite images uh, from any book I've ever read, um, because it just so starkly stands out in my mind, is in Stephen Mansfield's Killing Jesus, which the more <laughs> we do Isaac Ajax's, the less I love the book mm. uh, because he doesn't get all of his details and everything, right? And there's a lot of hyperbole and stuff in there. But he when he talks about... The what the city of Jerusalem would have looked like on the 14th of Nisan when they're sacrificing these lambs. You're talking about millions of people need to be fed and the lambs cannot be killed ahead of time. You're not going to the butcher shop and they all need to be killed in the same place. And imagine the blood flowing down the side of the hill from the temple into the Kidron Valley. Imagine standing at the bottom of that hill. The smell. The smell the sounds. the the sounds the priest's the, robes yeah everything about it yeah imagine trying to wash those white robes that the priests are wearing at the end of the day and that 
that washing with Jesus' blood is what clothes me in righteousness. That's a, that's a tough one to take, but a beautiful one to take. I had another connection to another parable was the parable of the ten virgins. And at the end of that parable, when five of the virgins were not, they were late to the wedding banquet, uh, the groom said, or the bridegroom said, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. And they remained outside where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But in verse 14, uh, it says, I said to him, sir, you know, you know who I am. And just we have that confidence that God knows who we are through the lens of Christ, Hmm. not who we were here on this earth, not who we are in our sin, but who we are dressed in that white robe. I like to imagine that the, uh, um, was it one of the, one of the elders who walks up to him? Oh yeah. One of the elders. And he's not, he's not like asking, he's not genuinely asking a question. Yeah. He got this big smile on his he's face, so clear, and he but... nods over there, like nods his head over there. You know who they are, and sir, uh, John can... responds with a big smile on his face. Oh, you know, sir. tell me, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's so beautiful to to think about uh, the joy of the hosts of heaven, including then the church triumphant, and and the joy of the thought of like. They get to evangelize someone <laughs> in heaven. They get to evangelize John stopping in for a visit. And uh, it, it makes me think about, uh, I've, I've heard uh, re- reflections on this of, you know, when John sees the multitudes, does does he see himself in the crowd? Or even one of the, the wilder takes I've heard is, is, is John seeing himself <laughs> when the elder comes? Because you have the 12 and 12, which seems to symbolize Old and New Testament. And so is that is that John... Now, after the fact, having seen the the risen, ascended, glorified Christ, having met the saints of God, able to meet himself in this moment that he knew was coming the whole time, and, and able to say... And John's sitting out on Patmos, according to legend, having already tried to be crucified, like somebody's already tried to not crucify him, but execute him, and now he's sitting on the island of Patmos, probably half-starved, writing down this revelation, see himself... Yeah, where he's going to be in a, a short while. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love it. Uh, last thing I want, and this kind of popped into my brain just as we were talking here, um, but the the grandeur and victory of, of our Savior. Right? We try Earlier on we were talking about reshaping Christ into our own terms. Why on earth would I, when he's the one that makes even the holiest of creatures fall on their faces before the throne and say simply, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks to be an honor and praise be like. Um, we imagine as meek and mild, and rightfully so, we imagine as meek and mild Savior. Well, um, modern Christianity seems to cling to that, and even make arguments that the Old and New Testament gods aren't the same thing. That uh, I was listening to the Unbelievable podcast a while back, and he was talking. There's a guy talking about um, how he doesn't see the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus isn't one who's he's meek and he's mild, and there's no violence in him, and so on, and so forth. Um, and to limit the when you when we reshape Christ into our own into our own image, right? We then lose both the baby in the manger and the one who returns with his garment dipped in blood, holding the sword, um, and returning in judgment on 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 judgment day, which does not hold fear for those who put their trust in him. Yeah. So, 
when we reshape Jesus into our own terms, we also lose out on this side of things too. Any last thoughts before we finish out? Just keying off of what you said, uh, two short thoughts, one being that um, that when we, when we hold on to the fullness of Christ and we, we see him in his, his glory and his reign and his conquering, that it, it's such a reassurance to us that whatever comes my way, uh, Jesus, Jesus is still in control. So I think about um, my freshman year at MLC, went to Compline the very first time, and for whatever reason, I was particularly inspired that right that night to to write a little prayer, and it and it goes like this: uh, I am baptized, I am fed. Christ His holy cross for me has bled. All comfort wraps me now, for what I face on the morrow shall be what He doth allow. And Christ has sent away all sin and sorrow. Let this thought then be in my ear sleeping. Christ indeed his flock is keeping. Amen. And that whatever whatever comes to me tomorrow, it had to pass through the desk of Jesus Christ, chairman of the board of the universe, to, to come to me. And the, the second thought then too is that this, this Jesus, who holds the universe in his hands, who, who could manifest stars from his fingertips and utterly annihilate the, the armies of the world in a way we can't even imagine that he decided the, the bloodshed and the, the, the outpouring of justice on the cross was worth it for me and my soul. You're really going to make me have to ask you for your social media after that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Duff, I don't know what life holds for you, brother, but no matter where you go and what you do, you got me in your corner, brother. Thank you. You have been blessed, and you continue to be a blessing to others. I appreciate that. Uh, do you have social media you'd like to share? We didn't prep you for this. My bad. Yeah. Um, you don't have to if you don't want I, to. I don't really. Um, Jacob Klug and I started a very terrible podcast. Uh, I highly doubt that. I'll admit uh, I haven't really watched I, I it I say yet. terrible, not in terms of the content, but in terms of the audio quality. Uh, called Walking Toward Wisdom. If only you knew we, a guy. We've been both... Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's funny because he told me he wasn't going to plug it, and now you, you got me in the spur of the moment, <laughs> so I don't know if he's going to be angry at me. I'll plug so it. So we, we only have like two or three episodes. Um, we were deeply inspired by uh, A Brief History of Power by Pastor Fisk and Dr. Kuntz. And uh, on Pastor Fisk's Discord, he's been encouraging people to make their own content to get more Christianity out there. And so we thought, well, like he and I talked almost every day Vicar year. And so that that podcast is an attempt to try and take a lot of our uh I'll say sanctified angst and do something with it. Um Sanctifangst. Yeah. <laughs> so so right now we have like an introductory episode and a couple episodes that are like the the first chapter of Proverbs. We we recorded a couple other episodes but sadly we we lost them to uh audio problems but i'd say if you if you want to hear a little more of me there's there's two or three episodes there so that's again uh walking toward wisdom awesome yeah instagram uh connor herder where can we yeah, find you yeah uh connor dot herder at instagram and then uh connor herder at gmail.com or not at gmail.com uh Connor Herder at Facebook. That is my Gmail account if you really want to email me. <laughs> Bryce, go ahead. 
Well, I'll go the email route. Guzzi, uh, G-U-S-E dot Bryce, B-R-I-C-E at yahoo.com. So Guzzi dot Bryce at yahoo.com. My Instagram is bruce.goose4. That is bruce.goose, the animal goose, two O's, four. Did anyone get that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you can find me, Charlie Ungemach, at www.girdupministries.com. Of course, we'll link that down in the show notes below. You can also find me on Instagram at girdup underscore b underscore a underscore man. My mom runs that account, so get over there, say hi to my mother. Uh, but if you'd like to reach me, you can do it there. You can do it through the website, or uh, there's about 800 other ways to get a hold of me. You can find them easily if you go find the Instagram or the website. God's blessings to you all. Shout out to uh, the folks in Africa. We're continuing to keep you in our prayers no matter where you are. Uh, and, of course, prayers about the Middle East. Uh, and, finally, gentlemen, go be the men that God created you to be. We will talk to you next week. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, editing, and distributing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you'd like to contact us with comments, questions, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at any of the links in the description below or on our website. Please consider supporting the work of Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping at our online store, or making a $5 cup of coffee donation at www.girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure you like, friend, follow, and subscribe to Gird Up and all of our guests on your social media platforms and consider leaving a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the Gird Up podcast so that others can find us and be blessed by our content too. As always, thanks for listening. Now go and be the man that God created you to be. We'll see you next time.